Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I am Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com. Usually along with my lovely co-host Adrian Gruberg at thecaregiverspace.org, but Adrian is getting some physical therapy on some pain in her back and her hip, and we just send our prayers her way that she'll feel good and be back with us next week. We're also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, MixCloud, and about 20 more. <laughs> In fact, we're proud to be voted number two caregiver podcast on Player FM. And number, actually, that's number one on Player FM, number two on Feedspot, and number two on podcast, uh, CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Dr. John Putholi empowers patients with new scientific insights and complementary approaches to prevent obesity, reverse diabetes, and survive cancer. And many caregivers are dealing with some of those things already. So it's a good show for a caregiver. Stay tuned. Call another caregiver that you know and tell them uh, to tune into our show. But before we get started, I do want to thank uh, my last week's guest, Michelle Willett. She's a co-founder of Balance Your Path, where she spends her days with her partner and sister, Vicki, creating uh, thought transformation training for all talking about childhood trauma, growing up homeless on the streets of Los Angeles, gave way to a lifelong learning journey for both of them. Uh, just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including this one, on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 global networks I mentioned above. All right, enough of that. Let me just say, Dr. John, welcome to the show. We're so excited hey. to have you on. Dave, I thank you for having me, and I thank our <laughs> viewers and listeners. Amen to that. <laughs> so we always like to ask our first guest, just yeah. who is Dr. John Puthali, and oh. why was he placed on this earth? Well, it is always a good question to ask, where do we come from, where do we go, and what is the objective for us to be here? And unfortunately. I don't think our brain is uh, brain has the capacity to answer those questions. If you have an answer, give it to me. Uh, no, that's why I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you what do you do? Uh, tell you know what kind of a doctor are you, and what is your goal and your mission in life, your mission statement, so to speak. The I was born in India. I did my medical training in India. I did a year of year and a half of residency in Scotland. I did two years of residency in the United States, one year of fellowship in the United States, and one year in Canada. 
I am board certified in pediatrics and allergy and immunology. I practiced for 35 years, then retired and started writing books. I have published five of them. Wow. Well, you sure get around. You've been all over the place. Um, yes. When you think about caregivers, Dr. John, uh, what's the first thing that comes into your mind as to what ails caregivers? I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with them, yes? I was a caregiver for my mother. Okay. She, Personal experience. She was ill and we couldn't figure out why. So I took her to the medical school that I was at that time. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, she was found to have cancer. Mm. What kind? Uh, it was in the bone marrow. So what did they do for her, if uh, anything? Not, not a whole lot at that time. This was many decades ago. Hmm. And I had to watch her suffer. And in the end, she caught chickenpox and I caught it from her. Oh, wow. So what happened next after you got chickenpox? Well, Because that can turn into shingles at your age, right? Well, it, it did. I did experience shingles, but a few oh, years wow. later. Was that a painful thing to go through? Mine, unfortunately, uh, fortunately, was not that painful. It, it was not an extensive area. It was not deep enough to cause pain. It was discomfort. It was itching. Yes, it was uncomfortable, but not painful. Well, you know, um, there is a vaccine for it. Do you recommend the vaccine? Uh, is it too late once you get it? Um, does it depend on whether you had chicken pox or not? What do you know about that? Well, no, chicken pox vaccine, you know, if you have gotten chicken pox, then the virus resides in your system, in your body, and it can get reactivated, but along the nerve line, and that is why you have shingles. If you can prevent it, the, the, what to remember is the number of people who get shingles will, is very low, percentage yet we don't know how intense it is going to be yeah my uh, mother-in-law had it and it was awful and then my best friend had it and it seems to be activated by stress stress has an important part in shingles doesn't it well the the question is why the uh, let's go back a little bit any virus virus cannot multiply by itself it needs the help of a cell to multiply mm -hmm. virus is just a dna or RNA material, just a gene. It gets into the cell and then it gets a signal to get activated. Once it is activated, if you are under stress, the stress hormones will help the multiplication process. Wow. Yeah, and there's no one that's under more stress than caregivers. So let's just say that uh, all caregivers, <laughs> because you're in a stressful occupation, should go and get a shingles vaccine. Uh, now, it, has everyone been exposed to chickenpox? I mean, how do you know whether you should get the vaccine? How do you know that you even had chickenpox? Maybe your parents aren't, aren't around anymore to tell you. What do you recommend with that? Well, in, in modern age, most of the people has uh, a doctor or a primary care physician, he or she can tell you. Most of us will know whether we had it as a young child. All right. So that part is not a problem. The question is whether you want to get a chickenpox vaccine before you get it 
And then whether you want to get one later on, many, many years later to prevent shingles. I see. So let's talk about type 2 diabetes now, because um, a lot of people, uh, I don't know what the official definition for obesity is, but a lot of people are, you know, maybe 20 pounds overweight, 30 pounds, 50 pounds. Uh, I'm thinking obesity is like 100 pounds, but uh, I may be, um, I, be, I may be wrong. Is a 50 pound person uh, considered obese? Overweight? Well, I have a different definition of obesity. Okay. And the definition is each person, what constitutes your body weight? Your body weight consists of bones, muscles, fat, water, and organs. Each individual, how tall you are, how heavy you are, is based on your genetic inheritance. I can show you in the same family, one child who is obese and one child who is lean. Why? Because we get one copy of every gene, one from the father, one from the mother. Mm -hmm. Then it depends on which one is active in your body. So if one parent is obese, one child can be obese. If the other parent is lean, another child can be lean. So in, you cannot apply the term obesity based on height and weight charts of, or tables of hundred thousands of people. You take a median or average. Yeah. How do you know where you belong to? Now, you have lean people who are um, type 2 diabetic. Correct. And you, and you have fat people who are not diabetic, right? I mean, exactly. It's just Very because good. you're overweight doesn't mean you're going to get diabetes. Or no. is, it, is it just a higher risk? Well, again, what is, how do you define obesity as you started talking? Right now, there is one table which is made of white American male and female. Th- that whole table, when we were in medical school in India, that is the table we used. So yeah, That's the uh, one almost, that, that you look at your age and your height, and it tells you a range that you should weigh. And right. you, don't, you don't agree with that then, right? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Because let me tell you this, 85% of people in the United States who are diabetic are obese. In 85. India, 85. Okay. In India, 60% of the people who are di- type 2 diabetic are either lean or normal weight. Wow, how could that be? Because the obesity, the table is not right for every ethnic group. I see. So Indian Indian people are generally thinner than American people? Yes. Yeah, I don't don't remember seeing very many. uh, I I keep saying the word fat, but that's not a nice word. But but overweight Indian people, I don't have an image of them because I haven't seen too many of them. Right. But they do get type 2 diabetes and 15% of the people who are lean in this country get type 2 diabetes. Mm. And you know what? The current medical uh, endocrinologists have no explanation. How about diet? W- w- what type of diet? Uh, maybe they're eating too much sugar. No, sugar has nothing to do with type 2 diabetes. The right. ordinary table sugar has nothing to do with it. Wow. The, you know why that confusion comes? Because of the name sugar. Blood sugar is glucose. 
table sugar is sucrose it's a completely different molecule but the terminology is the connection wow so this is uh, a lot of misinformation medical dogma um missing information um what would you now you wrote a book tell us about your book well that is exactly to uh, address these questions how did we come about the type 1 diabetes and type 2 what is the difference well let's and, let's see yeah, talk about the difference between type 1 and type 2 first of all okay in order to understand that you need to know what is insulin after a meal your blood glucose level goes up if you have consumed any carbohydrate like wheat or corn or oat or rice products and that elevation of glucose stimulates your pancreas to release insulin and insulin goes with glucose and around every cell in the body every cell can use glucose to produce energy but when if somebody is outside your door he or she rings the doorbell and you know the person is outside when glucose is outside the cell there is no doorbell for glucose to ring mm. that is the job of insulin now in type 1 diabetic the pancreas did not or does not produce insulin so there is plenty of glucose outside but the cells are starving inside they could not even know and what is insulin really in its basic form insulin is a hormone produced by the pancreas and that is the messenger for many many biological actions in the body mm-hmm. there are hundreds of action insulin stimulates for example if you are a diabetic if you get covid you will not get covid because you are a diabetic more easily but once you have it the virus will multiply faster wow if you have cancer if you are a diabetic the cancer will get worse faster and more 50% of the uh, more severity and number of infection more cancer incidence in diabetics wow so what's the connection between cancer and diabetes because you're an expert in both right well the diabetic when cancer cell is just like a, an in uh, every well let me back up every cancer starts with one stem cell stem cell is the mother cell that produces baby cells mm. so if the stem cell is start active uh, activated the by either radiation or chemicals or exposure or whatever once it start activated it has to divide and divide and divide uncontrolled cell division is cancer mm. in order to produce a baby cell the cancer cell needs mater- raw materials and energy and somebody to boost the production and the raw material for energy the cancer cell uses glucose almost all cancer cells use glucose and they have special receptors to bring in glucose even without the doorbell ringing they go and grab glucose and then insulin promotes every cell activity so insulin promotes cancer cell to multiply to multiply so diabetic people have 50% more chance of having colon cancer liver cancer pancreatic cancer and endometrial cancer 
because the insulin promotes cancer growth just like it promotes any infection so that is the connection between diabetes and cancer now going back to the type 2 diabetic initially dr jocelyn in uh, boston he treated type 1 diabetics with insulin until age 10 uh, well, until insulin was discovered type 1 diabetics children used to die by age 10 but once they were given insulin their life became normal so dr jocelyn's aunt had at at older age showed high blood sugar and he gave her insulin and sure enough her blood sugar went down so he thought it is the same disease happening at an older age group mm-hmm. so he promoted giving insulin to everybody then a test became available and that looked at the amount of insulin in adults and found they have normal sometimes even higher than normal levels of insulin in the blood at the time of diagnosis of type 2 diabetes so that created a problem you have high insulin and high blood glucose at the same time so around that time the first reported cases of penicillin resistant bacteria was published so one endocrinologist was smart enough to think oh maybe this is what is happening in type 2 diabetes cells are not responding they are resisting insulin it was just a hypothesis which has never been validated this is such a complicated process my aunt used to be 180 pounds and she came down with diabetes <clears throat> so she lost a lot of weight now she's 111 Right. but she still has to manage her diabetes so it doesn't just go away when you lose weight right because people yes. who yes. tell it, diabetics well you need to lose weight you need to control your weight so what is weight and diabetes uh why are they telling them to lose weight does that help diabetes yes it's an excellent question because what my hypothesis is type 2 diabetes has nothing to do with insulin resistance Now, so why are they having high blood glucose level? In order to understand that, let us see what happens after a meal. The blood glucose level goes up. As we mentioned earlier, pancreas releases insulin. Insulin tells the cells, 32 trillion of them in the body, here is glucose, take, you, take what you want. Within four hours, all the cells pick up what they need. The leftover will come to the liver. the liver has to process it for long term storage the liver can keep only 120 grams the rest will be converted into triglyceride or fatty acid and fat and that's the fat we store and the storage capacity is what you inherit from your parents remember the two genes we talked about mm-hmm. one from the father one from the father so if your body the lean gene is active then you have smaller storage capacity just like a refrigerator some 10 cubic feet or the other 20 so if you buy the same amount of grocery the 10 gets filled up faster and the rest of the grocery stays outside 
And that is what happens to blood glucose. If your fat storage capacity is filled up, glucose stays in the blood. It is as simple as that. So what else is in your book besides uh, talking about cancer and diabetes? Well, in cardiovascular, there's a lot of misinformation about heart disease. Mm. People will say, okay, they, when originally heart blockage was identified, they found it is cholesterol that is causing the blockage. Uh-huh. So the uh, advice was leave everything, meat and all fat containing stuff out of the you know, your diet. And people went on a low carb, on a high carb diet, low fat diet. Then people still had uh, diabetes and, and heart attacks. Why? So think about this. Cholesterol is an animal product. No plants makes cholesterol. And how can vegetarians get heart attack? How does, that, how does that happen? Because do you know what is the use of cholesterol in the body? Well, there's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. Okay. You introduced those terms. Okay. You said it. What is good about good cholesterol? Um, it, helps, uh, it helps keep your uh, arteries clear. No. That is what is, we are led to believe. Oh, so Chol- I was given misinformation, huh? Yes. <laughs> exactly. See, cholesterol is a molecule. Let's assume you have got a stick. Do you have a stick? Stick it not, stick on not, the small notes that you stick on. Right. You put one on your desk. That's the cholesterol sticking, the bad cholesterol. Okay. And if the good cholesterol comes and sticks on top of that, can it pull off your first one? Well, I hope it can. I don't know. No, by itself? No, it needs more. No, 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 no. What, where does the, the, the power comes from? To pull it off, you need me. some. Hmm? It comes from me. No, well, we are talking about two molecules. One is a cholesterol molecule. Uh, only a cell can produce energy. If you put one stick on knot and one on top of the other, the second one cannot pull off the first one by itself. It needs energy. So, in other words, glucose, HDL, the good cholesterol, do nothing. Hmm. It is called good because it does not cause blockage. It's called good because it's not bad. Exactly. So they should call it neutral. <laughs> yes, that would be, you know, my analogy is, can you, person, can you call a person a good person unless he <laughs> or she does something? If yeah. he doesn't do any harm to anybody, yes, if that is your definition. That's where the saying goes, well, how is he? Well, he's not bad. You right, know, it's not exactly a raving review of right. his integrity. Yes, that is all good cholesterol is for. In fact, the body cannot use good cholesterol for anything. So uh, they say if you um, exercise, right, that um, and you eat right, that right. you can keep your cholesterol down. Do you agree with right. that? Yes, but LDL, the bad cholesterol, is the one that can stick. And if you, you need to keep that one LDL down, yes, that will help you. Now, I had a father-in-law. He's deceased now, but he did a lot of research on this. And he found that uh, by mixing cottage cheese and flaxseed oil, mm-hmm. and, and you mix it and then you, uh, you put it on uh, fruit, uh, yes. that that will actually lower 
the boiling point of cholesterol and it will flow out of your veins. And they've done a research paper on it. Um, do you know anything about the effects of uh, flax oil in lowering the, the, the boiling point of cholesterol and helping it to flush out of the system instead of uh, stick to the arteries? Let me ask you this. When you say flush out of the system, there is no outlet for any fat or fat-soluble substance to get out of the body. Really? Yeah. The only outlet we have after food gets into the body is through your uh, kidney. Mm-hmm. And kidney can take out only water-soluble substances. No fat will go through the kidney. So where is the flesh out going? So what do you recommend for cholesterol? The, again, as I said, the uh, liver produces 75%, uh, no, 25% of the cholesterol by the liver, and 75% is what you consume in the food. Any excess, remember, even vegetarians have to have cholesterol. By the way, the primary use of cholesterol is an insulator. It, every cell wall has cholesterol. If you don't have cholesterol on a hot day, you will uh, get dehydrated. On a cold day, you get frostbitten. It is the insulation. That is why vegetarians, non-vegetarians, whatever mixed, everybody needs cholesterol and the liver will produce it from the raw material, which is primarily glucose. Any glucose that is not stored can be converted into fatty acid and that fatty acid can be converted into cholesterol or triglyceride based on your genetic makeup, what you inherit. So even vegetarians have to have cholesterol. So it comes from the carbohydrate they are eating. So the first thing you want to do is to reduce the raw material going to the liver. Then it will naturally go down. So you lose weight, you cut down on your carb intake, especially grain-based carbs, your cholesterol will go down. It will take time. So is Western medicine still promoting this misinformation? And, And if so... Who agrees with you? What, what, uh, are you all alone? Are you speaking on a hill all by yourself? Or are there other um, organizations that agree and saying, no, this man's right. Uh, we've been getting it wrong all these years. I've been trying for a number of years. Just to give you an example, I reached out to National Institute of Diabetes, Digestive and Kidney Disease, and they have a statement on their website that says type 2 diabetes starts when liver, fat, and muscle cells don't respond to insulin. So I sent a letter asking them, do you have any proof of that? Has it been validated? And they said that I have to disprove it. So that is what I've been trying to do for 20 years, talking to people like you, and I admire you for spreading useful information, giving to people, people need to think about. That's like saying a man is guilty unless he's proven innocent. Exactly. Now, let let, let me expand it just a little bit. If you are a diabetic, you are said, you are told you are a diabetic because you are resistant to insulin, your body at least three out of 200 cells. If you are resistant to an, an antibiotic, will the doctor give you the same antibiotic? No. No. 
So why are you given insulin if you are resistant to insulin? Mm. Can you disprove what he asked you to disprove? How, how, what I'm saying is there is no such thing as insulin resistance. How can you prove a negative? Right. Very interesting. Well, uh, I'm glad you wrote a book because uh, it's a complicated topic. And I don't pretend to understand everything we spoke about today. <laughs> but um, how can people get a hold of your book and learn more? Yeah, it's on Amazon. My website is drjohnonhealth.com. So the, the question, every person has to take charge of his or her own body and health and ask, start asking questions with the, to the doctor. If I take insulin, my blood glucose goes down. Where does it go? It does not go out of the body. Mm. When I take cholesterol-lowering medications, my level is lower. Where does the cholesterol go? Do you know where it goes? Which one are you talking about? The, the, the glucose? The cholesterol. The cholesterol? Where does the cholesterol go? Well, if, if we lower in order, it. In order to understand that, you say, how the, the liver produces cholesterol from fatty acids. The cholesterol-lowering medications block the workers, which are called enzymes in the liver, from producing cholesterol. But the raw materials, the fatty acids, will stay in the body, in the blood. And after 10, 20 years of accumulation of fatty acid like that, you know what happens? These people will become diabetic. Really? Yes. Does it damage the liver also? It, no, it, it needs, well, in, depending on you know, how sensitive you, you are to the medications, like anything else, all the medications or most of them are detoxified in the liver. All right. So you give recommendations in your book of what people can do to stay healthy, right? Yes, absolutely. Each one has to take charge. You have to ask the question, what can I do to take, uh, to help my body? Mm. Ask Questions the doctor, what is this medication supposed to do? And what is the proof? If I take insulin, I still have 60% chance of having nerve damage, 50% chance of having kidney damage, 25% chance having eye damage, 2.5% chance of having my leg amputated. So why am I taking insulin? So um, does the Indian medical community um, agree with you more than the American medical community? No, because uh, the American medical community and the textbooks, once you have a concept in the textbook, that is what is being taught sure. all around the world in the Western medicine. Until you disprove it. Yeah, exactly. So it's a hypothesis. It, just like the insulin resistance is a hypothesis, but they have accepted it as fact before it was validated. Yeah. And mine is a counter hypothesis. Yes. Well, any hope that one day uh, you're going to change things? Uh, I don't know, but I have to keep <laughs> trying. And with the help of people like you, I hope we can spread the word. All I want is in order to prove me wrong, the experts can prove themselves right. For example, there are 200 types of cells in the body, but only three become resistant to insulin. How do they decide? That's above my pay grade. Yeah. Well, and nobody John, has an answer. 
I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, it's been a real pleasure, and you're a great guest. I, I just can't believe how fast this time has gone today. Um, how can re- listeners reach you? Uh, give us your website again. DrJohnOnHealth.com. One word. Okay. And remember, like I said, uh, all of these shows go on the 27 platforms that I mentioned earlier, like YouTube, Blog Talk, Radio, Podbean, and many more. And don't forget to check out my membership website, caregiverdave.com. It's a free membership support community with lots of tools, resources, free gifts, as well as my Facebook page with the same name, Caregiver Dave. And uh, please click the like button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview. It helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's engine algorithms. So again, all my listeners out there all over the world, thank you so much for tuning in and making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. Look for our podcast on your favorite platform or on caregiverdave.com. So until next week, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you. Bye-bye.